Good morning. I'm uh, Adrian, one of the rotating teaching pastors at Alpine Church, and we're continuing in our series in Mark, and today we're going to be looking at um, chapter 7 and be going through verses 1 through, through 23, and we've titled our message today, Inner Purity. And so, you know, to kind of start into this message, um, how many of you um, would consider yourself um, rule followers? Okay. You know, it's being a rule follower is okay. All right. All right. So we've, there's a few rule followers. So that means the rest of you are the, the rule, uh, the people that like to bend the rules. Right. You know, it's, I think that we would all agree that, that rules typically are a good thing. You know, I consider myself to be a rule follower unless, unless I, I don't respect the person that's making the rules, and then, or I don't understand them, like they don't make sense to me. Then I become kind of a, you know, I, I like to bend the rules a little bit, oh, only in efforts to understand them, though, Right? But it, I think we all agree that, that rules are important, right? We don't want to, I don't think anybody's here that wants to live in a, a society, an environment where there are no rules, where anything goes. Rules are important, but it's interesting how we, we look at rules, isn't it? Some of us are, are kind of the, the people that like to bend the rules, you know, to where when somebody says, don't cross the fence, you know, the, the person that likes to bend the rules is, is going to be the person that kind of goes and lays on the fence, right? I didn't cross it. You know, they're, they're pushing the boundaries, right? Well, then there's sometimes there's those of us who, who, you know, would be considered the rule followers to where we understand the value of the rule, right? We, we look at that rule and, and we believe that the rule is important, that it's there for a reason, and our desire is to, to make sure that people follow it, right? Not only us, but other people as well. And I think sometimes we can get carried away with it to where so a rule follower would be tempted sometimes to, to look at a rule, don't cross the fence, and we say, man, that rule's important. I want to make sure that nobody crosses that fence. So what we end up doing is, is we actually end up coming and building another fence in front of the fence, because we're thinking, I'm helping everybody follow the rule, right? They're, they're, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell everybody else, the rule is don't, don't cross this fence. And see, and as long as they follow that rule, they're not going to cross that fence, okay? Now, the one thing, the problem with that is, is, it, is it causes frustration to the, the people that like to bend the rules, Right? For one, I mean, they're going to look at that, first, that, that fence that you put up and be like, why is that fence there? It doesn't make sense. Really? Can we really not cross that fence? Right? And it causes confusion because then people are kind of confused as, well, well what fence is the rule? The, the one here or the one there? Right? It causes confusion. Now, imagine this when it comes to our pursuit of God. You see, there, there are rules to having a relationship with God. And what we're going to see in our story today is that the religious leaders of Israel have started creating confusion because they're, putting, they're adding things 
to God's, God's law. And it's creating confusion. Now, um, look, you know, the, you know, when we talk about pursuing God, we, we talk about there's laws to pursuing God. We can't pursue God any way that we want. God has outlined how we can have a relationship with him. He's outlined how we can pursue him. And if we add laws to that, it causes problems. Um, and we're going to see that in the story today, like I said, with the Jewish leaders adding to God's law and causing confusion. And my hope is that at the end of this message, not only do we have a, a better understanding of why God gave the law to Israel, but we also have a kind of a, a, are reminded that the way to have a relationship with God is to put our trust in Jesus. And once we put our trust in Jesus is to pursue him out of that trust, out of that faith. And so to set up kind of um, the story today, remember that Jesus has been traveling around with his disciples right? He's traveling around sharing the good news, right? This news that, that people can be forgiven of their sins and have a relationship with God, that God's Messiah, this promised Savior is coming, and that people will be forgiven of their sins and have a relationship with God. Well, throughout, you know, from, from chapter 1 to chapter six, we see, 6, we've seen several instances where Jesus has been challenged by the religious leaders of Israel, Right? Well, today the big guns come out. Today we're going to see that the religious leaders from Jerusalem, the capital of Judaism, have traveled to where Jesus is to confront Jesus. And we see this when we jump in to verse 1. It says, One day some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual and hand-washing before eating. You see, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they've immersed their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, to, to kind of understand what, what we're going to be talking about here with these rituals and traditions, we, we, we need a, a little bit more information, some, some background information on where it's coming from. Well, well think about the Ten Commandments, right? And, and maybe the picture in your mind is, um, you know, is Moses standing on Mount Sinai with those two stone tablets you know, that's kind of what I learned when I was in Sunday school, the two stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments on it. Well, the Ten Commandments was the beginning of the law that God gave to the nation of Israel. It was the beginning of the law. And when you're reading through your Bible, if you're reading in Exodus, Leviticus, or Deuteronomy, it begins to outline all the laws that God gave Israel. And, you know, nowadays they kind of break these laws up into three categories, right? It's, they, they've broken them up into the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. And all of these laws, all together, these laws that we see from Exodus to Deuteronomy, right, 
were laws that God gave Israel to govern how they relate to one another, how, they, how the nation of Israel relates to the other nations around them, and more importantly, how the nation of Israel relates to God. You see, what God was doing when he gave them the law, he was laying out the fence, right? He, he was laying out the fence for the nation of Israel. Now, what started happening as the, the, the nation of Israel's religious leaders were, were striving to, to follow God's law, to honor God with their lives, follow his law, and help the nation of Israel, the rest of the people, also follow God's law, they begin to add things. They begin to add traditions. They begin to kind of add their own ideas. Um, so they begin to create these traditions and, and other ceremonies to try to help the people fulfill God's law. So what the religious leaders of Israel were doing is they were actually building another fence in front of God's fence, right? And, and I think we should give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I think their intentions initially were truly to help people pursue God, kind of that, that idea that, well, hey, God says this is how it's supposed to be. You can't cross this fence. Well, if we build our fence here, if we build these traditions, these, these ceremonies, these different kind of ideas over here, and we tell people they can't cross this, well, then they're going to fulfill God's law because they won't cross God's fence. Well, again, this type of thing starts causing confusion. And one of these rules, one of these traditions that they started creating was this whole idea of how you were supposed to wash your hands before you eat. And this is what, um, what the Pharisees say to Jesus when they're asking him about it. So the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow the age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Now, at first glance, maybe you're thinking, well, man, is it possible that these guys were just concerned that the disciples were eating their food with dirty hands, right? That they might have just picked up, they might, they're concerned that they might pick up a parasite or some kind of bug that might make them sick. But it wasn't, it, it wasn't a hygiene issue. Right? It, it wasn't a hygiene concern. You see, what had ended up happening is as these traditions were being passed down throughout thousands of years, throughout, uh, from one generation to the next, these traditions that were made up by the religious leaders of Israel, they began, it, it caused confusion, and they began to believe that doing these things is what made you right with God is what make you right with God. It ended up distorting God's truth. You see, them building the fence of their traditions in front of God's law distorted God's truth. And this is why, kind of the, why they're asking the question to Jesus, you know, because Jesus and his disciples are, are going around Right? They're, they're, they're traveling around telling people that they can have a relationship with God, that they can be forgiven of their sins. Right? They're going around acting like they're holy and can show other people how to be holy. And the religious leaders are looking at them and are saying, wait, wait, wait. 
you guys are saying that you know how, to, how people can have a relationship with God, but you don't even follow our traditions that make you holy. Right? You don't even follow our traditions that make, keep you clean and make you right with God. So what are you really doing? Well, see, Jesus um, doesn't waste any time responding to this, this challenge, right? And, and he doesn't pull any punches, right? Jesus, I think, uh, this is one of the kind of, I don't want to say aggressive, but you'll see, Jesus hits him pretty hard. He's not holding back any punches in his response. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They wor- their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own traditions. You see, a hypocrite is, is somebody that professes a certain belief, but doesn't live their life by that belief that they profess right? And, and what, these, what these Pharisees and these religious leaders were doing was walking around acting like they had the key to having a relationship with God. But they were teaching all these traditions, these man-made traditions that, that they were saying would make you right with God, would keep you clean, make you acceptable to God. But it wasn't God's truth. Right? Jesus is saying, you're walking around saying you know how to have a relationship with God, but you don't even know God's truth. You know, it's interesting that this, this passage that Jesus quotes to them was a prophecy to the nation of Judah, right? Before Israel was conquered. It was a, a prophecy of judgment for Judah's just disbelief, disobedience in God. Jesus says, you ignore God's law for your own tradition. You see, not only does uh, building a fence, adding uh, human traditions and human ideas to God's truth, not only does it distort God's truth, eventually it ends up replacing it. Eventually it ends up replacing it. This is why Jesus says, you ignore God's law and substitute your own traditions. And, you know, Jesus actually goes on in verse 9, and he actually shows an example of what they're doing. He shows an example of it to them. He says, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your traditions. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of his father or mother mother, must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own traditions and this is, the only, this is only one example among many others. You see, they created loopholes, right? 
the traditions that they began to hand down from generation to generation, acting like these traditions were God's truth, created loopholes that allowed people to disobey God's law and still feel like they were honoring God with their lives. You see, this whole thing about parents honoring your mother and father, it had more to, it wasn't just as children that we honor our mother and father by being respectful and obedient and doing what they ask us to do. It also carried on into adulthood that when your parents reached the age where they needed help, where they needed to be taken care of, it was your responsibility as a child in order to honor God in your life to take care of your parents. But see, the, the, this whole thing about a vow about uh, vowing your, basically your possessions and your money to God was that when parents were in a place of need, right, and they would, their, their children would be the ones that are supposed to take care of them, they would, it was okay for their children to say, the stuff I would have given to you to help you out, mom and dad, I've already devoted it to God. I'm sorry. I, I, I can't help you, Right? And so they would disobey the law through a loophole in the tradition. Now, even if we wanted to give the kind of the benefit of the doubt again, when you look into what this vow was about, it's kind of sad, right? Because the people could, could, could vow to give God their possessions, their money, right? They could vow to give these things to God, but they didn't give them up right then. Actually, the law allowed them to use the things that they've vowed to give to God. They were allowed to use it, and it was upon their death that, that those things would be given to, you know, given to God or, or taken to the temple or however they dealt with it. But it was only unto death. They had the ability to use the money that they would have vowed to God any way they wanted while they were alive. And yet they used that law not to help out their parents disobeying God's law. It's kind of sad when you, when you think about it. It is sad. See, and the people were being led to believe that they were honoring God. It distorted God's truth. It ended up replacing God's truth. You know, it's easy for us to kind of look at these Pharisees and be like, man, they, they messed it up. They messed it up. They led people astray. That was foolish. But do you realize that we're susceptible of doing the same thing? How easy is it for us to do the same thing, right? To, to add our own preferences, our own traditions, and portray those as God's truth. I mean, when you look through the history of the church, you can see that the, the, his, the church has done it many times. We're susceptible of, of doing the same thing. Susceptible of doing the same thing. You can only worship God at church with a keyboard, a drum set, bass, and a guitar. That's the only proper way to, to worship God. Church is, you know, church is only for casual dressers. 
right? You can only dress casually and comfortably at church. If you like to dress up and wear suits and kind of take it to that next notch, that's, that's not how God does things. God wants everybody to feel comfortable. You can only use certain translations of the Bible, right? You, you, you can only use the NLT. You can't, especially, you can't use especially that hard-to-read King James Version. God only spree, speaks through the NLT. You know, the message, you know, at church, it's only church if the message clocks out at 20 minutes. If it goes longer than that, that's not God honoring. God cares about our time. Right? I mean, did you see what I did there? We, you know, we, we can very easily take our own preferences in our pursuit of God and portray those as being God's truth or how God has outlined it. It's very easy for us to build a fence of our own traditions in front of God's truth. You know, and we, we got to be careful not to be confused by the other people that actually do it. There's a lot of religions, and I'll call them for what they are, there's a lot of false religions in the world that use the name of Jesus that have added things to God's truth. And how are you going to know? How are you going to know? Because I'll be honest with you. You know, sometimes I, I prefer just to, to listen to a podcast of somebody telling me what God's Word says. Right? Sometimes I prefer to listen to somebody else's sermon so that they can tell me what God's Word said. But how am I going to know if they're adding their own preferences to God and, and, and sharing it, teaching it like it's God's truth? You see, the only way that we're going to know that is if we know God's Word. We've got to be in God's word. Sometimes I feel too busy to read God's word. You see, when we allow ourselves to stay in a place like that, we're leaving ourselves open to accepting something other than God's truth. You see, this was so important. This idea of of you know, people adding to God's truth, adding to God's law was so important that Jesus right here was unwilling to let it go, right? He, he, he was unwilling. He knows that the religious traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation in, um, um, by the Jewish leaders was causing confusion, was leading people away from God. So after Jesus kind of does this exchange with the Pharisees, it's interesting what he does. He, he does something that, that I haven't picked up anywhere else in the book of Mark. He actually calls the people, right? Because remember, people were around him, right? When these, when these Pharisees came up to Jesus to kind of confront him, there's people around him like there always has been in Jesus' ministry. Well, after basically addressing the stuff with these Pharisees, he calls the people to come to him. Look what it says. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. 
All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house and to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable that he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body can't defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. You see, Jesus just got done giving the the Jewish leaders an example of how they were corrupting God's word, right? How they had replaced God's word with their traditions. He, he gave them that, that example. Now he's addressing the crowd because he wants the crowd to understand the error in their traditions that they were been learning their whole lives, those traditions that were being passed down to them. You see, many of these religious traditions that were being passed down We're all about how you make yourself clean to be in a relationship with God, right? How how you have to wash your hands before you eat to make sure that you stay clean so that you stay holy to have a relationship with God so that you're not defiled. You see, they had this idea that there were things in the environment things around them that would defile them and make them unworthy, that would make them dirty in a way, make them unholy, unworthy to have a relationship with God. And so they've got all these traditions to try to make themselves holy so they can have a relationship with God. And Jesus says, what you eat cannot make you unclean. What you eat does not separate you from God. What touches you in your environment does not separate you from God. Jesus wants everybody to understand that it's what's in their heart that separates them from God. Look what he says. It is what comes from inside that defiles you, that makes you unclean. For from within, out of the person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. You see, Jesus wants to make sure that people understand that you are not made unclean, the reason why you, you cannot have a relationship with God is not what you eat, not what you touch, not what's in your environment. You see, when, when you're driving down the street and somebody cuts you off, right, and it just irritates you, and after they cut you off, you're cussing at them in your mind, and maybe you're even cussing out loud, and you're, you're talking about how ugly their kids are and how dumb they drive, right? All that stuff, guess what? You did not say those things because they cut you off. The reason you said those things isn't because they cut you off. The reason you said those things is because of the evil within your heart. 
It's your sinful nature. It's your sinful nature. Jesus wants everybody to know that we're born with a sinful nature that desires to be God itself. Right? That's, that's what our sinful nature is. We, 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 our natural inclination is to be, is, is that everything revolves around us. That everybody was created for our pleasure and our joy. Our sinful nature opposes God. Wants to be God itself. Wants to seek after its own pleasures. Its own desires. Wants to make up our own truth. And have other people follow it. You see, God gave the, the law to the nation of Israel because he wanted people to understand the requirements to be in relationship with him. See, matter of fact, when you, when you look at the law of God, the, you know, it's, it's called several things. You know, it's, it's referred to as the Levitical law. It's referred to as the Mosaic law, right? It's, it's the law that God gave Israel. When you look at that law, it, it shows the standard that's required to be in relationship with God. And you know what that standard is? Perfection. That standard is that you have to be pure, undefiled, not dirty. You've got to be perfect. You know, it's interesting when you actually look into that law, it's it becomes clear to you that it's impossible for us to do. It's impossible for us to achieve the law. You see, God never intended for the nation of Israel to be made perfect by the law. It was never his intent. You see, God promised that he was going to fulfill the law. He promised that, that he was going to be the one to solve the sin problem. He promised that he was going to be the one that made it possible for Israel and the rest of the world to have a relationship with him. He never intended that we were going to be able to follow the law. Matter of fact, when you look into the ceremonial part of the law, you know, the part of the law that describes the sacrifices and the festivals. See, the law points to God's promise of fulfilling the very law that he requires us to live by, that he required Israel to live by. The law points to God fulfilling that promise. Romans 3.23 says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So then maybe you ask the question, well, why did Israel have to follow the law then? If God knew they couldn't follow it, why did they have to follow it? Well, 
I believe that um, the law was the instruction for how Israel would live out their faith in God. It was the instruction for how Israel was to live out their faith believing that God was going to accomplish the fulfillment of the law. That's how Israel lived by faith, was following the law by faith, knowing that they weren't going to accomplish it. You see, in a similar way, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, right? Because Jesus is the promise that God gave, the promise, the Messiah, that a Savior would be born, a Savior would would sacrifice himself, a Savior would pay the price for the forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus. That's Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in him, believing that he did what was required for us to have a relationship with God, we're transformed from the inside out. See, that heart that we once had, that, that sinful heart, right? That, that heart that defiled us, that made it so that we couldn't have a relationship with God, that heart is transformed when we put our trust in Jesus. And we're made right with God and we have a relationship with God. And now we too live our life by faith. Believing that God did everything that's required. And pursuing him, discovering what pleases him, what honors him, and doing those things. I don't have a slide for this, but Matthew 22 starting verse 37, says this, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? Right? What is the most important commandment in God's law? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all, the command, and all the demands of the prophets are, base, are based on these two commandments. To love the Lord your God with everything you have and to love others. That's how we live our life in faith. So I hope today that don't build a fence of your preferences or human traditions in front of God's truth. Pursue, follow, and share God's truth alone.